0: Our text today comes from Psalm 67, which inspired that song and is uh, pretty much my sermon in a nutshell. So we'll slow down a little bit for the next 30 minutes and focus on Psalm 67 and all of its beauty. Psalm 67, to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. We are uh, beginning have a lot of beginnings here this morning. We are beginning summer, beginning our summer of psalms. Pastor Jake is beginning his sabbatical. So through this summer, in order to help me uh, fill in a lot of Jake's roles, responsibilities, throughout the summer we'll have a few others come up and preach some of these psalms as well. Uh, a few others that we've been training up or others who have experience. So I won't be up here every week. Uh, but And you'll be blessed to see and hear the word come through the mouths of others. So before we jump into this psalm, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to give us his heart from these beautiful words. God, you tell us in this wonderful song of Israel that one day all the peoples of the earth will praise your name, will We'll worship you. We'll be glad and sing with joy. We long for that day. We long to be around the throne with Jesus, to walk side by side with him. Help us see that promise through these words. And may it inspire us, motivate us to become instruments of making that vision become a reality. Use Redemption City Church. Use us. Use our families, our homes, our jobs to reach our neighborhoods, to reach this city and to spread this beautiful good news that we have been given in Christ from here to every corner of the planet. We are small. We have no great power and wisdom on our own. We are not a mighty organization we have no political power other than that of the king of the universe. So I pray you would make us more dependent upon him and more fruitful in him. Amen. So today is kind of a special day that I think should get a lot more attention in the church. If you haven't been part of a A church that follows a a traditional church calendar, you wouldn't even know that today is an important day to celebrate the things that God has done for us. And it's a day that reminds us of where our new lives have come from and what our purpose is. It's a really special day. I'm not just talking about Titus's birthday either. That is pretty awesome. But today is Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, which the church has turned into a a focus on all nations. But we want to see where that idea comes from. In Jewish biblical tradition, Pentecost was traditionally called the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost is a Greek word meaning 50 But the Jews celebrated what was called the Feast of Weeks. It was seven weeks long, 50 days after the Passover. You know that big celebration where they sacrificed a lamb to remember their exit from Egypt. How God had saved them and given them abundant provision. The Feast of Weeks is a way of Reminding them of the land that they were brought into. That God didn't just remove them from a a land of slavery, but brought them into a land of great fruitfulness. And then when Jesus came, of course, like every festival, like everything we read in the Old Testament, Pentecost took on a whole new meaning. We saw that Passover celebrated this lamb that was slain to help Israel escape the death that was coming upon Egypt. But in Christ, we see that he is the Lamb of God, helping us escape from the death that is to come upon all nations, upon the whole world. And so similarly, 50 days after that Passover, after Easter, where we celebrate Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection, Pentecost is now transformed from a celebration of God's abundant provision in through a harvest in a specific land. Now we see the beginning of a brand new kind of harvest in a new land that he has promised for us. We see this harvest begin in Acts chapter 2, when on Pentecost, God pours out his spirit and people start speaking in languages from all over the world, enabling them to begin this harvest for Christ by bringing the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This harvest is the focus of Psalm 67. Today we're picking up our again our tradition of the summer of Psalms as Curtis mentioned and our goal since we began this church maybe a couple years into it I guess was to start preaching through the Psalms every summer not in any particular order but hopefully over the next 10-12 years preaching a dozen Psalms every summer we are going to have preached through every single psalm, kind of a long-term vision in order to help shape our hearts, our affections, our emotions to be in line with God's heart. And so today we're going to jump into the summer of psalms with a focus on the goal of Pentecost, celebrating the great harvest that God has called us to labor in, in his mighty provision. Psalm 67 points us to that harvest, And surprisingly calls us to be those laborers. So the main thing I want you to see in Psalm 67 today is that God calls us to fill the earth with the knowledge of God's salvation. Fill the earth with knowledge of God's salvation. God saves every one of you. If you have put your faith in Christ, he has saved you in order to make you faithful to his worldwide mission. To become a laborer in this harvest. This psalm is beautifully arranged to call us to that task. Psalms are, as, as the heading here says, with stringed instruments, a song with stringed instruments. It's a song given by God, inspired by God, arranged for the people of God to sing to musical instrumentation. And the people of Israel were called to these festivals. Every single year, multiple times a year to show up at the temple and all of the priests, the Levites would gather together and lead these songs to remind people of who God is and who they are in him, what they've called him to be in front of all the nations of the world. Now, sometimes some people think that Psalms are really frustrating and difficult to read. I used to be one of those. I was talking to another person this morning going, oh, Psalms, I don't get it. Poetry, right? That's what engineers think. Some of you are musicians. Many of you are musicians. You're like, oh, it's my language. I don't get it. But these Psalms, I'm beginning to understand and really love Psalms use structures much less like the New Testament letters where where you can just see, here's my proposition, here's my argument, here's the ground for my argument, here's the purpose for my argument, now go and do it. So it's easy to follow. But Psalms use structures like parallelism and and repetition and something that we see in this text called a chiasm. I won't use that word anymore. Just let it be to you a picture of of a triangle. It's this idea that, that the psalm is arranged where the ends are building to the middle, to this climax in the middle, to rouse the people in all of their emotion to be obedient to God's purposes. Psalm 67 is beautiful in the way it's constructed. So you can see in the first and the last verses, there's this idea of repeating the idea of blessing. And then in verses 2 and verse 6, It draws attention to the earth, excuse me, the earth as the theater of that blessing. Verses three and five are identical. They repeat one another as kind of a way to frame the main thing right in the middle in verse four, building from the outside into this middle idea in verse four as the goal. So that's how we're going to look at this psalm today, but the opposite direction. We're going to start in the middle with verses three and five, three to five. And see its vision for filling the earth with worldwide worship. And then move outward to verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 to show how God is filling the earth by the means of worldwide missionaries. So on this Pentecost All Nations Sunday, I want to kick off our summer with a fresh passion to see God use Redemption City Church in his worldwide mission. So let's begin by looking a little more closely at verses three to five in this vision of filling the earth with worldwide worship. He writes, the psalmist writes, let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for, because you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, Psalm 67, I said, is a song, but it's not just a song. It's also a prayer. Many psalms are prayers. Please, God, listen to me. Hear me. You can see that in verses 1 through 5 in particular, that all the verbs here are, are ways of saying, God, work in my life, work in this world, change the world. The structure and these verbs working together, requesting that God would work for the good, not just of Israel, but of all the nations. Oftentimes, some of the Psalms are preaching, God, bring judgment on those terrible nations. That's okay to pray sometimes. But this time is saying, bring knowledge of your salvation to the whole world. Right in the middle of this Psalm... We see verses three and five. They're just identical. That's a way in Psalms of this poetry to show you what's in between is really important. I'm framing it with this idea of people praising God. I want to lead to this thing in the middle. Seven times these three psalms or three verses are focusing on the nations, all the peoples of the world. We're not just talking about Israel here. As many of them thought God cared about, only them saying, no, I have a focus on the whole earth. And verse 4 is right at the center of that entire psalm, expressing that particular plan that God has for all the nations. Even though Israel was God's chosen people, God had a heart for every nation, for all peoples, for the entire planet, so they could all experience his joy. And here in this psalm, he's giving Israel insight into his own heart for the world. For an Israelite to sing this song is to express a sentiment that is exactly opposite of that of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God says, go preach to the people of Nineveh, the evil Assyrians who have done wickedness, terrible things in the, in the world. And Jonah did not like that idea. He resented that idea so much that he just plugged his ears and said, I'm going this way instead. Exactly opposite of what God called him to do. But this psalm calls God's people to put that bitterness aside, embrace God's heart for all the peoples of the world, and pray for their salvation. Now, a big question we must answer in order to understand this psalm what it's praying for is what are the nations? If you get the answer to that question confused, it can really throw off what you think God is aiming at here. The world back then was quite a bit different than what we do now, how the world operates now. So you can't just take our words and plug them in there and say it means the same thing. So when they say nations, we think looking at a map with lines drawn on it and say, this government has authority over this territory. But that's not quite how it worked. And you can see what what the psalmist is trying to get at. Because he uses all kinds of different words and phrases to explain what he means about this. He really wants us to see that he's talking about all kinds of peoples. all All the lands, all the families, all the populations in every territory. This idea that the Israelites are singing about is that every group of people outside of Israel will be included in worshiping God. That's not to say that every single person in every single group, it's not a, a universalist position that everybody wins, everybody is saved. But it's a way of saying that there will be people From every group of people, no matter how you want to define it, if you want to define it by nations or languages or tribes, however you do it, there will be representatives from that group of people in God's presence, experiencing his blessing. Israel is not the only people who are the focus of God's affection. People from all over the planet will be included. And you see this in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, where they say every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's not meant to make distinctions between those words. Just saying all kinds of people, however you want to define it, are going to be in his joyful presence. Not just the people you think deserve it. As we will see shortly, this was actually the entire purpose of Israel's existence that why they were called to be God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. They were supposed to receive the blessings in order to become a blessing to all the nations. But before we can get there, we need to look at the foundation of this worldwide worship. The last two phrases of verse four tell us what this worldwide worship is based on God's judgment and God's guidance. This promise for worldwide praise is based firstly on God's judgment. He says in that first, first phrase, you will judge the peoples with, in, with equity. This is an important clarification for us that God's not simply going to automatically just bless and save all the sinful humanity because he feels bad for the world. He is going to judge the world. God's salvation isn't setting aside judgment, ignoring judgment. He's still going to punish every sin, every false worship, every lie, every bit of gossip, every failure to be perfectly righteous. And God will do it with equity. Again, another word that we can't just take what it means today and throw it on to the Bible. Today, the word equity means more like everybody gets an equal outcome. Everybody ends up in the exact same spot. But that's not what God is saying here. That's not true equity. God's equity means that he is going to hold everybody accountable to the exact same standard. There is no partiality. He's not going to give people a little head start or a little more leeway. He's not going to take this group and give them a few more advantages, a leg up. And then over here, give this group extra opportunities. So we all end up at the same place. That is worldly equity, but that kind of equity is an abomination to God. If God holds everyone to the same standard of perfection, however, then everyone's in trouble. Nobody can escape this condemnation unless he provides a way out. That's what this last phrase in verse 4 means. This foundation of worldwide worship is based upon God's guidance. He's going to guide the nations through this judgment by his power, just as he guided Israel out of the land of Egypt. The word guide here is the same word used in Exodus for God leading Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea by the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and mighty plagues and all kinds of miracles. That is God's guidance, getting them away from sin, and finding a sacrifice, a substitute, when he started that whole guidance, judging the lamb, slaying the lamb to pay for their sins. God provided that lamb to escape the death that was required upon the Egyptians. Israel deserved the same death. If they didn't put the lamb, the lamb's blood on the doorpost, they too would experience that death. And similarly, if anyone wishes to escape the judgment that is to come upon the nations, he must trust and follow the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Not just follow Him out of this corrupt nation and into another nation, but out of an entirely cursed world. Jesus is the only path to guide us to gladness and eternal joy because by His perfect justice, On the cross, He satisfied God's wrath. God didn't just ignore our sins. He paid for it on the cross. All nations must receive justice for their sins. You either cast your sins upon Jesus or you pay for them yourself in eternal death, apart from the source of all gladness and joy. For those who trust in Christ... An amazing day is coming. That's going to look a lot like Psalm 67. Where people from all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all over the earth are going to gather in bliss to sing in one voice. A song of joy in God's salvation. Now, with that that wonderful vision of worldwide worship set before our eyes, we must understand that God has chosen not to just automatically apply this this salvation to anybody. He could snap his fingers, speak a word, and then just pop up a new worshiper there, and pop up a new worshiper there. That it would be an interesting thing to see, random people just coming to know Jesus like that. But he has determined, he has a different way he intends to spread this good news to all the nations. In verses 1 and 2, And 6 and 7 are parallel statements at the beginning and the end showing us that God is filling the earth by the means of worldwide missionaries. So Let's read those again. We'll start in verses 1 and 2, skip over 3 to 5, and finish 6 and 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. When you start reading this, this psalm, the first thing you may notice in verse 1, that it sounds very similar to... Aaron's ble- priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, right? Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26, Aaron and Moses are leading the people out of Egypt into the promised land. They're trying to make their way through the wilderness. And God pray or Aaron prays for a blessing for the Israelites, that God would keep them. He would give them safety, protection, favor, and peace. He said... The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. But this psalmist now is taking that blessing and saying and applying it to his current generation. No longer the ones who are trying to get through the wilderness, but the ones right now trying to face all kinds of nations around us that are oppressing all kinds of confusing social things that are happening in our lives. We need this peace right now, God. But that's not the end goal of that blessing. It's the starting point of all the nations praising God. It starts with God blessing us and ends with worldwide worship. The blessing was never meant to be an end in itself. Your salvation is not the end of your life, but the beginning of a new life. God doesn't bless you so that you can keep it and enjoy that blessing for yourself. Verse 2 says, that, it starts with the word that, that your way may be known on the earth that your saving power would be known among the nations. This was the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will become a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was blessing this man in order to become a blessing to the whole world. And what was that blessing ultimately to look like? We need to straighten out our concept of what a blessing is. It does mean goodness. It does mean favor. It does mean prosperity in a sense. But that all starts with the promise that Jeremiah gave in a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. He promised an intimate relationship with God where no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The blessing that's to come is salvation and knowledge and in an intimate relationship with God himself. A time is coming and is already here in Christ when everyone who is guided by God, by the mighty hand of His Spirit, will know God, will know His ways, His saving power because of the forgiveness given to us in Christ. He has powerfully, once for all time, made a sacrifice that frees us from bondage to sin and blesses us with protection and favor and peace. All the things Aaron dreamed of, we get to live right now. Peace with God. Not because we deserve it. But because Christ led us out of bondage to slavery. Christ fulfilled the promise to Abraham to make us a blessing that we could be a blessing to others. The whole purpose of your salvation is not just so you can enjoy that relationship with God. The incredible thing about God's salvation is, and those blessings is that they are more enjoyed the more people you bring to share them with. This isn't a new plan, though, since Jesus came. God didn't change his mind after Noah sinned, after Abraham messed up, after Israel fell into idolatry. This has been the plan since the beginning. Genesis 1.28 commands those first two people, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God made these two people, a man and a woman, in his image and commanded them, come together as one flesh and make more image bearers. And then they would come together as one flesh and make more image bearers. And it would just repeat over and over until the whole earth would be full. The design of one image bearing man and one image bearing woman coming together to enjoy God's very pleasurable blessing until the whole earth was full. But the point of being fruitful and multiplying wasn't simply because God wanted people everywhere to look at because he thought we were pretty fascinating creatures to watch. He wanted godly people everywhere because he liked to see himself reflected in us. After generations and generations of fruitfulness, yet unfaithfulness, God had said through the prophet Malachi, Did he, did God not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. He says that God brings a man and a woman together to enjoy the love of God's spirit between them in such a way that their love just overflows, produces life, not just another human being, but another worshiper, another person whose life will display the glory of God to the world. God intended for this type of God-glorifying love to repeat until the earth was completely filled. This is the purpose of your marriage, if you are married, or if you are intending to be married someday. Your job is to fill the earth with God's glorious image. But there's a problem. Verse 6 here in our psalm, in parallel with verse 2, subtly hints that this has not happened as intended. Verse 2 says that God is blessing his people in order to fill the earth with knowledge of his saving power, which suggests that the earth is not filled with the knowledge of his salvation. That there's something broken, something went wrong. But verse 6 says the earth has been filled. People have been fruitful and multiplied. There are people all over this planet. Some people would say too many. But this is exactly God's plan. He wanted the the whole earth filled with people. But the problem is all the people aren't worshiping God. Their lives aren't reflecting his glorious love. If all the nations are going to praise God one day, if all the nations are going to be glad and sing for joy, then somebody needs to do something about that problem. And someone will. There's a shift In verb forms throughout this psalm, if you pay careful attention. This was pointed out to me last Wednesday. The verbs in verses 1 through 5 are sort of a command to God. But we don't really command God. We just pray to him, plead with him. They're a a plea to God to make this happen. Spread that salvation throughout the whole earth. So all nations will praise you, God. Do this, please. And then verse 6 switches to the only past tense verb, saying that the earth has been filled. And finally, the verse, verbs shift to the future, where verse 1 begged God to bless his people. Verses 6 and 7 express confidence that he will bless his people. God will answer these prayers. He will bless the people, and he will fill the earth with worshipers. People who fear Him, giving God the honor due His name. And so this last phrase is telling us, get busy making it happen. Let it happen. The prayer of this Psalm is that God would bless His people. And the promise of this Psalm is that God would fill the earth with that blessing so He receives praise. But the purpose of this Psalm is to call us His people to become the means of fulfilling that promise. Inspired by this very psalm, John Piper writes in a book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which everyone should probably check out at some point. If you want one, I'll buy you one. John Piper writes, missions exist because worship doesn't. His point is that everyone's not worshiping properly. Everybody was made to worship. But the problem is, That everybody is worshiping something else. Missions exist, therefore, in order to go tell these people of all the wonderful blessings that we receive in Christ. From the time of Adam, people have been multiplying their flesh and blood throughout the earth. But they didn't multiply God's glory. But since the time of Christ, knowledge of God's salvation has been multiplying like crazy. That's the whole reason that we, except for one or two of us in here, we Gentiles, the word Hebrew word for nations, that's the reason we believe in Jesus. Because some Jews became blessed and they were faithful to share that good news. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Jesus came to be the perfect representative of all people on behalf of us to represent God, to die as the sacrifice for our rebellion and to rise from the dead in order to remake us into those fruitful, multiplying people. If you are in Christ, you have been called to fill the earth with knowledge of God's salvation. You have been recreated. You were born once of flesh and blood, you are reborn in Christ to be fruitful and multiply this blessing in Christ. God guarantees in this psalm that the mission will be successful. The only question left is, how are you going to engage the mission? How are you on mission this week to take your blessing to the nations? Every one of us must be a part of of this mission by going and sending not either or both but the primary call is to go that should be the default impulse when you have been given God's new heart you want to see this happen you're and the first thing you hear when when you hear the gospel as good news your response is here I am send me I have got to go how many of you, when you first understood the gospel or when you had this dramatic moment in your life where you realized what this whole thing is all about, you were like, I got to give up everything. I got to, I got to sell. I got to change my job. I got to go overseas. I know a bunch of you have felt that anxiety. Some of you are still wrestling with that. That's a good impulse. That is the right impulse. There's still a whole lot to that, that we need to teach you about the ordinary ways in which God intends to use you. But your impulse is right. Your heart is beating the the, the heart of God in Psalm 67. All the nations will praise God, but we're not there yet. Still one third of the peoples of this planet have no Bible, no church, no Christian witness. This is what those, these three lines on your bulletin are all about. There's a campaign right now called A Third of Us that's meant to just give us this simple reminder. You write it on your hand, you put it on your notebook, you put it on your computer, whatever helps you see it every day to remind you. We are not here at Psalm 67 verse 4 yet. We have a lot of work to do. And if there are one out of three people groups that don't know Christ, that don't have a single representative In the kingdom yet? The blessing needs to go. And maybe I'm the instrument to take it to them. We have work to do. Because God wants praise from that group of people. From those groups of people. Who among us fears God in such a way that I think, I have to go. Train me up. Send me out. I've got blessings that need to be shared. We must go. But before we go, we must grow in our ability to share that blessing even here. You'll never be faithful in God's mission there if you don't understand it and employ it here. Before you can get excited about going there, let's equip you now to be faithful here. You should be practicing hospitality now because the rest of the world is much better at hospitality than we are. You practice faithful church membership here because... That's what you want to multiply there. If you feel called to engage more in this mission, whether here or there, please come talk to any of the elders after worship and we will find the way that God is calling you to engage this mission, to train you up and send you out. But if you can't go all the way out there, you can still be on mission here and you can send others there. You can equip them And send them out and support them. We want Redemption City Church to be a a sending and going church. We give a portion of our budget to missionaries who go to unreached people groups. We started a school of theology and brought Bethlehem College and Seminary down here for the specific purpose of training people up and getting them out of here. We love you, but we want you to go. We want to train people up, equip them, send them out. And it's not just our job, the elder's job, the teacher's job. It's all of our responsibility. We want all of you to be equipping, supporting, sending. So our community groups should be little... little incubators of this type of activity, engaging in local outreach, getting to know missionaries so we can support them and go visit them on short-term trips and, and send them care packages and give them home support and take care of their financial needs. We do everything we can to train each other up for that work. We even want our own homes and families ordered sacrificially around this mission. So if some of you have opened your homes for missionaries on furlough to stay in. Or you've opened your homes for missionaries and training to stay in. We have lots of kids in this church. and The whole point of having them is to train them up to get them out of our house. And send them around the world. So many parents hate the idea of their kids becoming missionaries. They don't want to let them go. They want to keep them close. But our mission is sending. We are a going and sending people. Our greatest desire is not to have a nice family or a big mega church. It is a a desire to fulfill this call. Fill the earth with knowledge of God's salvation. Our greatest goal in life is that the nations would praise the name of Jesus. This is your calling as a Christian. It's our church's mission. Equip, engage, send. It's the calling on your home to raise up children to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers. And I pray that God would use every single one of us for that purpose. Before I pray, I want to just take a moment to specifically pray for this mission that of taking the gospel to the nations. So if you are a missionary, have been a missionary or being trained to be a missionary, if you've gone on a short term trip or you've done full time missions, or if you personally out of your own bank account support missionaries, would you just stand up? I know we got a bunch. Stand them up. Come on now. Yes. Yes. See, it's going on here. It just thrills my heart to see God's heart active among God's people. So if you want to know more about what God is doing among the nations, talk to one of these people. Talk to these people and see how God is fulfilling this promise. Talk to one of these people and hear what they have done and pray for them because sometimes that work feels so fruitless. You feel like you've worked so hard and got so discouraged. So let's pray now that God would keep and spread this heart among us. God, we thank you that you have given us blessings in Christ and you have promised many more blessings to us forever into eternity in Christ. Not that we deserve them, but because you have taken our judgment away from us and placed it on him and guided us out of bondage to slavery but this is not the end of our salvation. Help us take it to the ends of the earth that you deserve, God, the praise of people from every nation. And some of these people have already been at work doing that. God, would you bless the fruits of their labor, bless their support of missions work, encourage them where they feel like it's been so fruitless, so costly, and they don't see the value of it. And help us join in that work that the name of Jesus may spread throughout the earth. For the glory of his great name, we pray these things. Amen.